This is the word of God for the people of God from Exodus 13. When in the future your child asks you, what does this mean? You shall answer by the strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt in the house of slavery. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, although that was nearer. For God thought if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness, bordering the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt, prepared for battle. And Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, who had required a solemn oath of the Israelites, saying, God will surely come to you, and then you must carry my bones with you from here. And they set out from Sukkot and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they might travel by day and night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. It's the word of our Lord. When was the last time you cried? Maybe it was uh, on a Friday night. Caught, snuggled up with someone special watching a movie you've seen a thousand times. And that one moment that gets you every single time got you again and your eyes welled up. Maybe it was beside the bedside of a precious, irreplaceable person drawing their last breath as you sang and held their hand. Maybe you wept as you watched the news out of Israel and Palestine. Maybe you sobbed on all fours alone in the shower, the first quiet moment you've had in a long, long while when just for a few minutes no one was demanding anything from you and finally it all came rushing up to the surface, all those deferred feelings and there was no time to f or space to feel before. Maybe it was during a yoga class or a run, or a therapy session. Maybe you even make time for one of those things routinely so you can kind of schedule your cathartic cry. <laughs> or maybe it's been a long, long time. Maybe you can't even remember the last time it felt safe enough to cry. When was the last time you cried? I don't know, maybe this feels like too personal a question. <laughs> maybe it seems I don't, voyeuristic, invasive. It's not how are you, after all, uh, or what do you do for a living. We've seen how the simplest of questions can lead us deeper into relationship with God and one another if we use them well, if we receive them well, if we meet God in the midst and go where she leads. But we've also named how often we are content to remain at that surface level, to keep distance, to protect our tender hearts. 
And it's not, too, it's not so easy uh, with this question to wriggle out of the depths, to avoid or deny the searing intimacy, the naked vulnerability of standing before one another in relationship as human beings in flesh and blood who hold whole histories in their bodies, who have scars, who still hunger, who contain multitudes. It's not a question we get asked very often, but maybe it should be. Friends, congratulations. I think it's safe to say that with today's question and God's help, we have graduated to level two in our season of asking questions. I wonder about the Israelites and how they might have answered this question. At what points along that long road to freedom did they cry? Scripture says they were enslaved for 430 years. Historians may say it's more like 200 or maybe less. Whatever the case, a long time. Multiple generations. I think of something author Tanahasi Coates once said in response to an audience member's question um, about hope at a politics and prose event in DC. He said, Slavery in this country lasted 250 years. That means an African American born in 1750, if they look backwards, their parents were enslaved. Their grandparents were enslaved. Their great-grandparents were enslaved. And if they looked forward, their children would be enslaved. Their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, perhaps. He said there was no real hope. They resisted anyway. I wonder what is the place of tears in a struggle so long. Way back at the beginning of Exodus, Exodus 2, we're told the people of Israel groaned under their bondage and cried out for help, and their cry under bondage came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant, and God saw the people God knew their condition. Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann points out that zaak, the verb translated in that passage as cry out, is on the one hand a cry of misery, of wretchedness, self-pity. But it also functions as an official filing of a legal complaint. This is how the whole story of liberation begins, with crying out with tears, with this messy expression of hurt and fear and anger, and with lodging a formal complaint against God, to God. This is not what we were promised, they say. And yet we believe. There's this uh, Midrashic Jewish story about Moses as a baby that says when he was placed in the basket and sent floating down the Nile, he didn't want to cry. 
He tried to hold back his tears and remain silent, although he was afraid. But the angel Gabriel came and hit him so that he would cry out and arouse the pity of Batya, Pharaoh's daughter. And when he cried out, it said, his cry was his entire people crying in him. Maybe God knew the people would need a leader well-versed in grief to point them towards freedom and hope. Exodus, Brueggemann writes, is the primal scream that permits the beginning of history. It all begins with grief because, as he says, it's the most visceral announcement that things are not right. It's not quite hope, but it is a declaration that things are not as they should be, not as God promised and promises. Tears are maybe the beginning of every story worth telling. Our grief, however private or personal, may be our entry point into that larger grief of our people, which is all people, and into the liberating work of God. So when was the last time you cried? In today's text, we're in this strange, liminal, in-between sort of space. The tenth and most devastating plague has just happened in Egypt. The tenth and nearly final blow. The firstborn child in every Egyptian household has been killed. And the Israelites have been sent out. They've already traveled over 100 miles, walking day and night. But they've not yet arrived at the Red Sea and the drama that awaits them there. So freedom has begun, but it is far from complete. And you can feel the urgency at this stage in the story. There is no time to leaven the bread. Their loins are girded, their sandals are on, their staves are in hand, which means they are ready in any moment to run or fight. They are in a state of intense constant hypervigilance. They're avoiding the main coastal trade route so as to avoid Pharaoh's minions along the way. So they're traveling by the roundabout wilderness way. That's where God has led them. The terrain is rough, more uphill than down, loose stone underfoot, perils of every kind. They are too exhausted to go on, but they cannot stop. So breathlessly, they shuffle and drag and hurry towards God's future with their possessions in their hands. But in the midst of this runaway locomotive of a narrative, Scripture pauses to let us know that the people carried with them the bones of Joseph. Among the very first words of the book of Exodus, we're told, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph, the favorite, the outcast, the dreamer, the slave, the prince, the activist and policymaker, the immigrant uh, who and political powerhouse who carved out a place for his people. Egypt has already forgotten Joseph and forgotten with him the whole humanity of his people. 
And so begins their enslavement and oppression in Egypt. Egypt forgets. But the prophetic community of Moses remembers. They gather up his bones, this visceral reminder of what was lost along the way. Who was lost? Of all in the world that is not as it should be, is not as God promised it would be, this tangible grief, and they bring it with them. They sense that these bones are going to be somehow important. God whispers into their hearts to make good on this promise that someone made to a dying man once. These bones, all that's left of this one they loved, this dream-propelled ancestor, they are going to be somehow an anchor for the people a way of keeping them connected to the past of overcoming denial and so making God's future possible. If they honestly engaged their grief, if they found a way to give public expression, to cry out not only in criticism of all that is wrong, but in expectation that God can and will make it right. if they didn't only suffer loss, but actively grieved what was lost, it would lead them forward into hope and freedom. They don't stop here in the wilderness for a memorial service. This isn't perhaps the moment to face the grief in its fullness, but they carry with them the bones, and they won't bury them until much later in this story, after the death of Joshua. Today is our observance of all saints. It is a time not only to celebrate luminaries of the faith, heroes of love and justice, but also all the ordinary human beings we have lost along the way. Those who lived and labored beyond the spotlight to acknowledge in gratitude those we have loved and lost and so to celebrate those who are still here. To celebrate those who are yet to come and to affirm that we are all connected across time and space. Maybe it's also a time to ask, when was the last time you cried? Really cried? What are the tears that we have not yet shed, but must? What are the bones that we carry with us? Can we hold the bones of our loved ones, the bones of the people of modern-day Israel and of Gaza, the bones of queer kids who suffered assaults physical and spiritual and died too young, 
the bones of those who've perished as a result of gun violence or the slow motion violence of poverty here in the East Bay, of enslaved Israelites, <clears throat> of enslaved black Americans. What are the bones that will remind us of all that has been lost, is being lost, that will connect us to our past and open us to God's future? What are the bones that will help to keep us accountable to those who went before and to those who will follow after? Well, friends, we have a great example in our Lord Jesus who famously wept, who entered into the places of deepest hurt and came to embody those places, those experiences, who with his compassion, with his willingness to take into his own being the pain, the grief of others, undid the numbness of empire. Vincent Harding uh, reminds us um, in teaching, in, in, in his book, Hope and History, uh, in, te in helping, in stressing the importance of teaching people about the history of the civil rights movement in this country he encourages us to bring the children close enough to tremble, for there can be no resurrections by proxy. Friends, let us remember on this day that those who journeyed in this in-between place somewhere between what was and what shall be between slavery and freedom, God never left their side. God never stopped leading them for a moment. God gave them cover during the day and warmth and light and fire of fire at night. And so it is for us. We are on our way. And God continues to lead us toward our collective future. Amen.